Season 5, Curiosity, Episode 2, Randall Plunkett, the Lord of Dunsany. I first encountered this being when my mom sent me a link to a video of a guy rewilding hundreds of acres of land in County Mead and that he was a lord of this estate, this castle from a lineage of nearly a thousand years and he'd been rewilding for over eight years rewilding and also chooses to be vegan and makes movies and loves rock music That was the vibe I got anyways watching Nationwide upon this video about a year ago. I know it wasn't a year ago. Probably six or nine months ago. And then I found myself asking him would he be on spin frequency? And he said yes. We had a a call to check in with each other and we connected I listened while lying on the ground on a yoga mat in the back of my sweetheart's back garden listening to him while observing nature and then we ended up driving in through the open gates along this pathway to the castle and at first it felt very felt quite professional and slightly hostile between us (laughs) maybe we were dressed in very different clothes he was wearing skinny jeans and a t-shirt and a shirt clean hair looking sharp and well looking a little bit stiff I caught him looking in the mirror of the car at himself and that was interesting. (laughs) And I walked up to him barefoot with the pizza costume and the leopard pants and mirrors of each other. We chatted as Jasmine was getting the recording studio here in the camper van ready. And as we chatted he he formed into this elven being. And when he mentioned the word Norman, being from the Norman lineage, and his family being at the Dunsany estate for over 950 years, and he joked about being a blow in Ireland until you've been here for at least a thousand years. And that was the beginning of me observing him speaking from himself as being this 950 year old being that him and his family were not separate which left me dumbfounded and what does dumbfounded mean? (laughs) I was like I've never heard anyone speak like this to be to speak from as themselves being as themselves being their family not himself being him or him being observer or source or God or of him seeming like he was speaking about himself as if he's his family 
Very interesting. And observing his neocortex in his ears and his nose as he became this vibrating, light being, in gentle orbic action. And we began to connect and I mentioned this to him and that compliment created a connection between us. As my friend Ian Gabriel says, to stroke the eagle (laughs) creates a beautiful connection. I love compliments. I love receiving them and I love giving compliments. And then the next two hours just flew by. It felt like he was about to speak like he has done on other podcasts about the rewilding project and about this state and about the movie he's made Green Sea in the same way as he's done before I feel I asked questions to support him out of that and to have a brand new conversation one that he's never had before and I feel by mentioning to him that this wasn't an interview that this is a shared conversation it it was beautiful he then started to ask me questions that I craved to be asked which allowed me to love him and care for him and love that he was asking me these questions and proud of myself for letting him know that I wanted this to be a conversation not me just interviewing the Lord of Dunsany that we could meet being to being and confront and share the shadows and really explore what it's like being a Lord and the, the pressure of that and the entitlement of that and how he sees the world through this lens He brought us to see the the otters that are being rewilded on his land currently. They've just arrived and he's feeding them fish until they're ready to be rewilded out on the on the land, I'm pretty sure. And there's also foxes that they've just re- arrived and he's feeding them until they're big enough to be let out on the land. And Yeah, they're doing a lot of very interesting things at Dunsany. We didn't actually talk very much about rewilding or about... The results of the over eight years of rewilding on the land and moving away from agriculture, um, which was interesting. Yeah, I'm sure you'll find a lot of that information on his website, and which Jasmine will put on the end of the description and his um, Instagram and Facebook page, um, and also his movie Green Sea. Um, highly, I highly recommend that movie. I really thought-provoking and emotionally, in, emotionally challenging. Um, Green Sea on Amazon on Amazon Prime again Jasmine will link that on the description yeah and the website is nearly ready I've been saying this for a couple of episodes now mentioning www.spinfrequency.com yet if you put that into the Google right now it won't pop up but the developer was unwell for a day or two so it's been pushed back a couple of days but by the time you listen to this it'll be on Google and ready ready for you to access all the different conversations on there and to access the donate button to share once off payment if you're in a financial position in a space of financial abundance to support me Michael and the podcast to pay for the fuel to drive from Mayo up to Meath to to sit with Randall Plunkett and the coffee and the and the nutri grain bars and the fruit and veg that fuels us and the fuel for the camper van and 
the food for the doggy, Loba, and the flight to wherever I go to continue this curiosity journey of the season, or to another part of Ireland, or to support Eden Heart Space that I'm in right now and knock and whatever it re- requires. Know that no matter what money you send in a once-off payment or with a subscription per month, that will really support Spin Frequency, me, and all the things that I support and the people I support. And when I see someone calling out for support, I will support them. And finances can support that in those cases where finances are required. So if you're in a financial position to support me to continue on this unique creative journey, um, please do. www.spinfrequency.com Enjoy this very unique and interesting conversation with Lord Randall Plunkett, the Lord of Dunsany. I'm the only one who walks barefoot because I don't oh, walk barefoot. Oh yeah. Um, I do, but I probably won't right now. There are some I thistles. Much, it yeah. is a rewilding project. You yeah. will itch. Okay. But uh, but isn't that part of the fun? I guess so. I guess so. Yeah. I don't know. I might do it in a in a when I get like. Well, if you there. want to go for a walk, I suggest you go down this path because there's a flowering forest there, wow. and there's every month there's a different lot of flowers coming, so it's constantly changing in color. So it starts with the snowdrops. Then it's the daffodils, then you get the bluebells and the primrose and all that stuff. And you're in a good moment now to go. So I think she's going to have quite a lot more fun than us. We will probably have a little bit of fun. But she'll definitely have more fun than us. Perfect. So Thailand, huh? Thailand in a circus. I have not not met anyone from Thailand, from Thailand, who lived in Thailand, lived in Thailand. Did I jump to conclusions? We lived there, yeah. Two different periods, nine months and three months. So yeah, definitely lived there, got grounded there. And I had a girlfriend who was into fire breathing and into swallowing swords. So she did a lot of stuff like that. And it was very interesting uh, to see how she developed her skill because it's it's like a martial art in many ways, you know? You're, You're constantly, you know, developing it. And so it started with just doing the spinny things in the, in squat parties. I used to squat parties. <laughs> there, was a, there was a lot of uh, Molly <laughs> at certain points. Don't let all the background cha- change you. I never ended up in Thailand, though. I never, never did Asia, but uh, Asia's wherever I put my hat down. So. I'll leave on that. See you soon. Do, you want, do you want to bring the dog? You can probably walk with the dog. My dogs well. will probably be okay. I'll lock them up, but. Uh, and there's beautiful flowers there, so enjoy it. Thank and the bees are buzzing. Thank you. <laughs> Not a chemical is used in this place, so you'll be very happy to know. So if you do want to walk barefoot, there is no Monsanto or anything. The only thing we use occasionally for the paths, and every so often you see, just a little bit of vinegar. Vinegar? Because vinegar is natural. It breaks into the soil. It doesn't harm the bees. So vinegar. Brilliant. So nature helps protect nature without destroying the fungus. And what does the vinegar do? It, it will um, destroy some of the weeds, but without destroying the delicate fungus underneath, because once water hits it, it breaks. So it's not like a chemical that seeps into the soil and remains there. 
like apple cider vinegar is, is a natural occurring element. So when it rains, it, that's why we can never do it before rain. We can do it only on dry spells because mm -hmm. it takes uh, a day or so for the, the vinegar to burn into the, into the weed, which we only use, again, on, on the areas around the castle. We do not do it anywhere beyond the, the area. And that's only for tidiness because I don't want, like I said, there are certain elements of my job that is making sure that things don't deteriorate, even if my pursuits of the wildlife. So that's the one little area that we use. And on things like uh, roofs and things like that, that's the, but it's very it's very marginal. We just buy the old uh, we go to the old chip shop vinegar place where they you know most chip shops for example use um, a diluted vinegar. They buy it in big canisters and then they put water in it to make it you know palatable. Mm. So we I, waste nothing here. I'll have done the I'll have done the introducing at the beginning. So okay. let's go straight in um, ancestral belief systems. I, in observing and listening to you in the last few minutes in the last few moments seeing how I witness you identifying as your entire lineage are you identifying as a not just this lifetime that you're in right now when you're speaking it feels like you're speaking from a, a depth and maybe that's a sourceful depth maybe that's a godly depth maybe that's a, a, a specific family lineage depth and I've never witnessed somebody speak like that before and what you embody in yourself and in your face as you speak from that is really interesting. And then hearing you speak about squatting and experiencing Molly and experiencing your partner who is a fire dancer and so on, a whole other version of you is awake then again. It's a very, very different aspect of you. And I'd love to know that version of you that's in the squats and experiencing Molly and with your partner the fire dancer ex-partner ex-partner is that left behind now or does that version of you still live and what is that version well for me to go into that that was quite a large question so I'll, I'm going into this way in my family at a very early age we are prepared to look after this and to a lot of people, they will look at this and just see wealth. And that's a possibility. That's that's what people can, can refer to this as. When I look at this, I don't see wealth. I see commitment. I see history. I see people have suffered. I see people have tried, attempted, tried to create, tried to better. Those are contributions in time. And family, and it's ironic because if you look at our Western culture, family is still very much part of everybody in Ireland it's very family orientated um, and I think part of the fact that my family goes back so far uh, and so we're so aware of people even 950 years ago we are aware of those people they have names they had beliefs they tried to do things some of them were noble and some of them were less noble and again time shifts people's perceptions of actions but the truth is is that everything that has been done, everything that has been sacrificed in time should not be forgotten. And even though at times they are not celebrated, um, this embodies many, many lives in time and many contributions in time. And part of my job has always been to protect the building, its contents, and every generation brings new things of its time. And that's part of one of the things that we are pushed at a very early age in my family. You must protect what was past you must enrich in your time and prepare the next generation 
to receive it and look after it. So you're never really an owner as more of a caretaker. I prefer to refer to myself as a caretaker because although times may be difficult, I can never sell what I didn't bring. That's selling somebody's contribution. And that's very difficult to sort of dishonor somebody's efforts. I don't wish my efforts to be, shall we say, thrown out so carelessly. So that kind of mindset is is put into us very early. I My father put that into me. I will try and pass that on the same way to my children, and I hope that they will do the same, and that's how we've survived. Now, the Dunsanis have been here for 950 years. You know, they, there was a, a historian who recently told me that they were actually here before the Normans. Now, I didn't validate that for, for sure, but that's what he told me. So the Plunkets themselves, and the, and the family has had many evolutions, marriages and things like that, but the Plunkets have been here a very long time. And um, But even before that, the Cusicks. So they were all members of our family, and we remember each one. And it's um, And many did very wonderful things and probably some made mistakes along the times and and time shifts what's popular what's done you know back in the Norman times we were hanging people from trees um, nowadays we hang people by their legs financially rather than you know from a tree um, not us specifically there but I'm talking about society as you're speaking into that what that brings up into awareness for me is all these stories and beliefs brought through the generations that resulted in my dad 10 years ago ended up hanging himself off the rafters not somebody else and it feels like a similar I won't say similar an interesting path that has led to now and maybe all moments in time are happening right now maybe there isn't a separate moment maybe every version of us is existing right now if we were to see beyond this veil of just this picturesque image, what else is going on as your perception shifts? For example, you were to take a psychedelic or do a lot of um, meditation or do something that would shift the chemical imbalance in the neocortex. What else is visible in this reality right now if we go beyond our beliefs of the way it is? Of what, what, what else is possible if we don't keep replaying the same story that was told to us by our parents and their parents to keep perpetuating a cycle of, de- of destroying ourselves, the earth, our environment and so on? And what would awaken if we were to maybe take a left or a right turn and not replay the same stuff over and over again? Who are we? Who are you? Well, I always like to look at Ireland and I think to myself, this is the land of folklore much of horror and storytelling came from here and if you look at across uh, the world now you've obviously traveled um, you look at tribes South America Asia perhaps um, they have their own stories they have their own histories they're told and they're passed on and, and they have a very similar value system people you know they celebrate the dead you know if you look in Mexico they have a whole, a whole bunch of celebration of the dead but so the reality that we see is very, very two-dimensional. I mean, an ant is not aware of what's above. You know what I mean? The ant is only worried about what's in front of him. It's the grass. It's what's carrying to the nest. How can you possibly explain airplanes to an ant? Now, fast forward to us. Put us in the ant's position. How can you possibly explain reality to 
a species like ours that really sees things only in a very two-dimensional way. We don't have um, the ability to uh, feel energy in the same way that perhaps, let's say, animals do because we don't have the same instincts. We're not tuned to the same instincts. It's not that people can't, should we say, it's like a radio station. You know, when you when you turn your radio and you have a radio in here, so if you turn your radio and look for a channel, eventually you'll catch something that you probably won't be able to fully understand because it'll be distorted and it's probably coming from some oil tankard in the Atlantic or something. But that is the same way. You are maybe perhaps at certain points uh, able to pick up on thing frequencies that perhaps are not, should we say, um, necessarily understandable at the time. And if you go and look at that from a perspective of species, how are we really able to understand what's really around it? We have, can have an, a theory, but my dog, for example, has certain realities. It, it understands emotion, clearly. Um, it cannot understand the iPod, for example, or the tablet, but it's able to understand things in nature and in the land that perhaps we couldn't. You've often heard of animals being able to detect disease, yet we cannot do that ourselves. Um, so it's these senses are, are very much uh, part of our being. So when you are talking about being, should we say, more uh, aware, and and, the, and you were talking about the use of chemicals, those, those can enhance certain um, mindsets, but also even just the idea of perhaps um, understanding and being tuned, because it's like music. I, I'm big into music, so hi-fi is one of my main loves. And... It's not about what you hear, it's about learning how to listen. And that's a big thing that a lot of people don't understand. You know, I make subtle changes, turning things, adding things, putting a weight on something. It shifts certain frequencies. Now, to the average person, they might not hear anything. I have a girlfriend who wouldn't hear the difference. But shifting things like putting a weight, shifting a weight across something can shift the sound. Now, to my ears, I hear a lot, but that's because... And those weren't... I wasn't always like that. Those are senses that I have matured with time, even though at my age, hearing should be going, getting less bad. It should be getting worse, not, not better. And in fact, I would say that I hear better today at the age of 39 than I did when I was 19. So although my hearing is perhaps less good, my ability to listen is better. That's probably the better way to put it. And one could probably extend that to the concept of consciousness. Please have a chocolate. There is um, no dairy in it. It's only Oh, chocolate. no, I'm fasting. Thank you. You intermittent fast in the mornings, do I have, uh, for a long period of time, I would do one meal a day. Because one should be hungry. If you look at the, the populations of... Excess is what, what does bad for health. If you look at um, the longest living populations, they don't eat much. They eat well, quality over quantity. Um, no, I don't. I don't do that at the moment. But you know, I eat when I'm hungry, and I generally go for long periods of time. I like. I find myself. Um, I work better. I live better when I don't eat, and I eat very well when I do eat. I like to feast, um, and I eat a lot of vegetables, and I eat a lot of things, and I sometimes just like chips. <laughs> but the thing is, is uh, no, I I try and and always eat less because the thing is, is that. You know, it's not natural for us to always be in excess. One should enjoy excess, but when excess becomes the norm, one loses appreciation for excess. A 
awareness to bring in. I feel some of the podcasts I've listened to in have been very much so interviews. Spin Frequency wouldn't be an interview. It's more of a give, take, give, receive experience. So I invite you to ask me questions as well as me ask you. Is this a shared experience? Again, like you said, to this space, this isn't my podcast. It's community podcast. The 42 conversations that we've had have been with unique, amazing beings that I love. And they're probably listening right now. And it's grown organically from there. Um, So I invite you to be... So I ask you this then. Yeah. I noticed that you've adapted a more simplistic lifestyle. You you told me at the beginning of this conversation that you have become mobile. You live in this in this space. And I said to you earlier that perhaps in many ways you actually are freer than most people because you don't you're not held down by possessions. It's something that I am actually very much um, held back by because I'm not held back by my own possessions as much as I'm also held back by the possessions of history um, that I told you about, or at least that's how I interpret my reality how do you interpret your reality what made you kind of strive for a different lifestyle because i'm sure you know you're a good-looking intelligent guy i'm sure you could have easily uh fit the mold of what society wants you to be what made you go up and take your journey in this direction healing and were you always born with the feeling or is this something that was created by an awakening or was this something that was should we say introduced I feel the awakening happened and then the remembrance followed of every other time I felt and therefore I realized I was always awakened yet the feeling of the awakening allowed me to remember every moment where I wasn't actually attending the present moment so the moment that comes in as Larba Loba barracks beautifully. Or no, it's your doggy, I think. Yeah, that is Butthead and that is Beavis. Hey, Beavis. Come on in. Hello. Yes, um, you can see the aristocracy is not what it used to be when your dog is called Beavis and Butthead. Uh, cultural uh, decline is imminent. Yeah, um, awakening to feeling, and when you when you feel it, um, it changes choices. I, I'll, I'll step in again. I was up here in Meath actually two days ago, and I made more sense to to stay here. I was at the River Boyne. Um, Jasmine was teaching a class in the morning, and we just come over. We just come over from Chesterfield on the boat, pretty tired. But I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to be at the Boyne River. And it's ideal. Maybe we'll pause for a moment. Yeah, let me just. No worries. Feel free to have some beautiful oat milk as well. No, I'm fine. I'm going to read something a little bit grounded to tune us back in again, if that's okay. Having access to that formless realm is truly liberating. It frees you from bondage to form and identification with form. It is life in its undifferentiated state prior to its fragmentation into multiplicity. We may call it the unmanifested, the invisible source of all things, the being 
within all beings. It is a realm of deep stillness and peace, but also of joy and intense aliveness. Whenever you are present, you become transparent to some extent to the light, the pure consciousness that emanates from this source. You also realize that the light is not separate from who you are, but constitutes your very essence. Eckhart Tolle. Not one I've read. I like it. <laughs> I see what else we've got that you've got rewild yourself. Also, not one I've read. People have asked me once, once regularly, uh, will I write a book? And I think I think everything uh, worthwhile has already been said. Bullshit. <laughs> write it. Well, I don't know if I have anything worth saying just yet. I can talk enough for five books. I'm currently recording my first book. I'm on chapter fifteen. What's it about? Curiosity. Curiosity. Okay. The same theme of this podcast theme. Right. So I started both of them around the same period while driving past Manchester. And Manchester being the stop-off point in England every year of my life to go visit my uncle. I was okay. in my mom's belly when, when he first moved there when he was about 21. And for the first time I found myself driving past Manchester towards Chesterfield now with my partner and their dog and this new shifter a new opening to go visit her family and I got I had the awareness write a book and it, it didn't have those words write a book it was like people have said to me before are you going to write a book and I'm like yes it will happen and a deep part of me desires that and craves that and wants to be seen and to share my specific spin on things and yet I didn't feel the moment had come until then and I was like yes and, and, and then the question was instead of solutions how do I write this book do I have to do I have to now sit down every day and write 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 I was like no record you're recording already every day um, have a part of your intentions for the day to record 14 minutes a day for 36 days a month day 14 I've reached out to two of my friends one is a writer and publisher another is in Mexico and she's transcribing the writings my other friend Cindy just released her second book she got the feeling last week she was about to start a third book, not knowing what it was. Cindy Barascoot Magic, episode, season three, episode nine, I think, if anyone wants to tune into her work. So she had an awareness that a book was coming in. I call her about what I'm creating. Now we're having a call next week where these 36 recordings that I didn't know what they were. I'm just literally sharing for 14 minutes, not having a clue what it's going to be. In that gap in the day where it's just like I can choose to go into creativity now or I could go slam my face with food or I could go drive off somewhere. Some sort of a reaction where the recording gave me a response. So where I can, instead of bottling up the emotions, I can express the emotions and it can become something beautiful and allowing expression and feeling to be beautiful 
and what comes to my awareness now is the noodles and the bottle of vodka from your movie um, <laughs> Green Sea anyone would like to watch it it's on Amazon Prime and other places as well you'll find it but an ease on Amazon Prime amazing movie so thought provoking so deep watched it with my partner and her mom and the scene now that jumps in of when she's having a fornicatory experience with a, a gentleman she met in the bar and that's to whatever the person observes what they feel about that that was like a wildly emotionally triggering scene like that was wildly triggering and what that's an example of a space where it brings up in me as a child when my mom would put put the p- pillow up to my eyes and be like no that, that's not what you look at and therefore didn't really get an opportunity to gain a skill or, or a tool to navigate these kinds of scenes in life because you can't always put a pillow up to your eyes it's like to feel and observe and be able to actually express that emotion and let it go and then be ready for the next scene again and not be hooked on that moment therefore not in the present moment flowingly getting held and it feels like that's where fear holds us and where the traumatic world holds us in a picture or a scene in a moment and it it keeps coming back to us replaying itself and that's how fear gets us and possesses us to be attached because we don't want to tell our deepest secret and that deepest secret usually lies in like a picture of a traumatic moment that could literally have been mom putting that pillow on my eyes and her not maybe sharing with me more of an all-rounding way of dealing with scenarios where I feel maybe if I had a dad in my life, he would have maybe could have given me a bit better way of navigating the maybe the what you could say the darker scenes in life and how to shine a light upon them. And for me to know that I am the light and that I am the light shining awareness on anything, no matter how dark it is, no matter how much I'm suffering. Like this morning was like so much suffering for me. I I, I got outside the the van and I was so identified with me at the side of the road in Dunsany what the fuck am I doing up here going podcasting with a lord of a castle I'm here at the side of the road my partner is teaching inside the dog's going crazy all these stories of identification that you're a lord that I'm on the side of the road that I'm I that's all egoic form it's all the subconscious holding of dread and suffering that runs through that egoic mind and the walk kind of took me out of it a bit more. I got into the birds singing. Things started to like feel again. I dropped into the sit bones a bit more. I dropped back in again. I felt safe in myself. And I've been slowly getting more and more safe to being right here and podcasting with you. And I feel really safe now. The tree isn't just flat. It's like, it's orbic. It's grey. It's brownish. It's deep. It's like, if I focus on it, it throbs my heart feels warm and fuzzy and it's like it, it, the beauty is showing itself because I'm willing to see it becoming all of the motion in the moment and then letting go of the motion fully in the moment not getting hooked on anything I feel like maybe that's what and Peter Pan was Captain Hook is like Maybe that's what took us out of Neverland, is the hook. The hook of fear, of shame, of guilt, of a belief system, of whatever it is that makes you believe things are a certain way. Or it being a certain way, and then being in it again, whatever. What does that mean to you? What's the hook? Well, it's interesting, and I was listening to you there, but um, 
bated breath because you know the th the thing is is that obviously you've had experiences those experiences have shaped you and those reflexes those pull away from the heat of a, of a fire for example they shape you and they give you the should we say they adjust your mind to be able to deal with the reality in front you know, the pillow situation I often I, I, I make movies and I come I typically bump into the typical usually a woman who says to me oh, I don't like horror movies I, I get too scared so I know I personally love horror I love anything dark and uh, I love dread that's that's sort of my that's my my game if you like and and it's one of the reasons why I focus on those things with my creativity now it's interesting you were talking about uh, dictating and your ideas coming and you you put them within 14 minutes or more I'm sure and every day almost like a ritual right and it programs your brain to produce to create have you ever expressed yourself in a different way like do you do art for example do you paint do you do you write poetry anything like that because it's interesting that you at this stage of your life and I don't, I don't know how old you are but that you found this ability this aptitude to be able to create in an unconventional way something that is should we say conventional because a book is traditional it's a traditional what people do yet you are doing it and approaching it from a completely different way and it's interesting because I was listening to you say it and I was thinking to myself it's like that's a great idea why don't I do that because I, it's something that never seemed to have really clocked with me is expressing yourself through speech and um, and being able to take those expressions and eventually boil them down into something that is should we say digestible and uh, it's interesting because uh, one of the things I mean you were talking about the movie and it's I don't know if you picked up on that one of the main aspects of the movie is how imagination will ultimately heal you and there's a lot of parallels to that film in my life, I mean, the, the whole story is on her walls, for example, in the film. And if you look at the film and if you watch it again next time you, you see elements of it, you'll see that everything that happens to her is, is right there in that house. Kind of a metaphor for what I've got here. You see that she's got, in the, in the corridor there where she's throwing the girl around, she's got pictures of the ocean, beaches in particular. And then you've got antlers and deers, and she's got even one on her neck. And then you see the situation with the deer getting shot. And the whole question is, did it really happen? Or is it a perception of, is the brain telling this is time to heal? And you mentioned Peter Pan, which is an interesting one. Because what if you boil, what is Peter Pan? Peter Pan is a boy who doesn't want to grow up. And he goes to a place in Never Never Land, I believe it's called. It's almost like a childish, a childish way of calling a hidden space where you can resist reality, resist natural growth. Because that's what, that's what Never Never Land is, really. It's, it's kids who never want to grow up. They are res they are resisting change. And it's interesting because we all have to grow up. Like I said to you at the beginning of our meeting, that nothing is stagnant. Stagnant creates rot. Um, things are always moving. Things are always changing. That's why I'm not... I'm not um, I'm not an advocate of um, of digging your feet in. 
into anything. Like we are constantly transforming. Everything is always, even when we expire, we transform into energy. We can transform into soil. We are, we are constantly changing, and that soil will grow into something, and then will be consumed by something else, and then we'll be part of something else and move on. So we are constantly moving and being recycled through this space. And uh, it's interesting because uh, Peter Pan has always been one of my favorite stories. And there's so many um, hidden elements to that story that is so relevant even in today's society. And uh, it's, it's fantastic what you're able to express and how your ideas will embody something by the end of it. And it's, it's just fascinating how you did that. So I'd be curious to see if, have you ever painted, for example? Because you look like someone who is very good with his hands. Um, I haven't painted, but I've built with clay, natural clay. building. So in terms of when I get into that rhythmic movement of mixing the soils with the clay, with the water and working with a group of, moving with a group of people and my feet being in the soil, I become very, like if I was to look at myself in the mirror, I might look like a sweaty demon or I might look like the most gleaming light being in the world moment by moment. Yeah. And I feel that's what nature art gives me is I get to see the full demon that awakens through me and I get to, the real blood-eyed like reptile that bursts through in every moment in all that shame, guilt and fear and in the full expression of the next wipe up of the clay on the wall building the shape into the wall that emotional sharing of building that wall of natural building of then liberating myself instantaneously like feeling it fully instantaneously giving it and in the Tao, in some of the writings of it I've been shared with lately by my friend, it's their ways to, er, no, in the way of Tantra, she was telling me, is to experience all of it and give all of it, receive all of it. So the more you go into the depths of darkness, the more you realize that's where all of the joy and bliss is by the willingness to go in fully and experience it all. And then when you find yourself in the middle of being like, what the fuck has happened and you're neither aware that you're in the liberation or in the darkness and you're just you're in the void and you're like what just happened and then the tension drops and it's like I can see the horse chestnut and in the background just like heaving and I can feel that dropping down my esophagus, my throat, down to my heart. The the willingness not to communicate in a in a specific way. In the willingness to express from the observer, observing the emotions and the view and to share from that. I feel that there's different depths and layers it's like I'm observing this forest here in front of me with the different heights of the trees and the judgement that that's a horse chestnut it's not from here shouldn't be here it's like boom becomes flat <laughs> <laughs> and then boom you just watch it again and you're like there's pink and purple seeds they're moving tension dropping and it's like observing that tension mania that grips in the moment and that's why I'm so curious and fascinated to artistic and creative people about that it maybe insanity that runs true in being a creative being. How do you navigate that? Well, I've always said 
the most difficult and the biggest thing that I focus on is, uh, and it's one of the big traumas, is the is the inability to express oneself. Because you were describing there when you were talking about how you do the clay and how you almost use your body in an organic way to almost alleviate pain, stress, whatever. And you do it through your hands and your hands use movements and you use the clay as almost like a conduit, if you like. And uh, it's interesting because I once met a doctor and he was a very unusual doctor. He had a belief. Uh, and I was very, um, I had a lot of problems at the beginning of my life with uh, lack of coordination. I was never any good at sports. And my parents, God bless them, did everything they could. It was sort of the dyslexia. And it was at the time where dyslexia was still, there was a lot of question marks about whether it's even a real thing or whatever. And he said that a lot of these elements come from the birth. Now, whether he's right or wrong, his, his point of view was very interesting because I was a cesarean. cesarean which means that they obviously took me out premature. Not that I was premature, but they took me out in, in a non-conventional way because the natural way is that you are excreted out and these things have to happen in a certain way. And he believed that people who are cesarean are missing certain collab, uh, calibrations. You see, when you go out of... A, when the baby... Um, when there's the birth happens, one of the first things that happens is the baby goes through certain movement patterns. You know, and it's like it ca calibrates the brain of the baby. You know, certain patterns of movement adjust. It, it, it goes, it turns, its, its head goes like that to side, and then the legs move. And that collaborate, uh, calibrates the brain's ability to, to use its energy, to shoot coordination. And he said one of the things that happens is by doing that, babies that are born that way generally have are more efficient with their patterns. Because if you're not born that way, those patterns are, should we say, delayed. And sometimes the those movement patterns and the brain's ability to create those movement patterns is hindered. So that can manifest itself in things like, like dyspraxia, like things like that. And that was his belief. It was a very interesting concept. And what he created, and one of the things he did, was he would mimic exercises that were mimicked at the womb. And he would actually create... Uh, almost like explosive um, outbursts of, of tension. And he, his belief was that every trauma that a young baby has, it's, it's embedded into the muscles, right? I mean, you, 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 anxiety, all these things are, are, re, uh, are reactions that as we grow older, we, we push them down. We, and that's where you get the tensions of your neck and your muscles. And he was very much an advocate of create, he created a, a sort of, um, a style of, of what he called emotional release, where you would release these very, very aggressive things. And it was really weird to look at. And I was, bear in mind, I was like a 12-year-old kid at this point. And he would do it. And what he was saying was happening uh, was that he was releasing traumas from, from various aspects, uh, periods of the life. And by doing this, it was able to actually create them. Now, at first, I looked at him and thought he was crazy. And then I tried it, and I definitely felt something. And I would come out of the sessions uh, very relieved. And he said, but that's, that's the thing. You're relieving these tensions because they are embedded. We're just not aware of them, but they're there. And as time goes on, they will, they will over time, like, like a cup, will overflow. And that will create problems elsewhere in the body. So it was very, 
it was very controversial, but at the same time, there was a, a concept that was not completely alien to me. And anyway, I did it, and I have to admit, my performance improved. I did find that my coordination improved, and I suddenly was becoming quite good at sports and things like that. So there was certainly... Now, whether that was just because I grew up and naturally I just my body adapted, or was it actually had something to do with uh, this concept? He's, I've often wondered... And unfortunately, my father is no longer alive to tell me his name because it was a very long time ago. And I'd love to look him up now and see, did that ever catch on? Um, but it was definitely an interesting concept. So the release and, and releasing things, emotional states, I mean, through art is, is a very common thing. I mean, you hear about musicians and artists being able to, you know, they're not very good at life, but when it comes to their art, they're able to express themselves. And, and that's what I find is always the most difficult thing. You find the most bitter, angry people are the ones who are not able to express how they feel. And yet the most, uh, the people who are usually the happiest are the ones who have, are able to express themselves every day. Um, and I often find it has nothing to do with, with uh, where you. It's not where you're from or where you're at, because it can be people who who even express themselves through one thing. Maybe it's music, and they play music and they feel better, and they they can in, in sense joy. But the people who don't have that, I've always felt very difficult because I'm able to express myself, whether that's through storytelling, through filmmaking, through creation, and it's sort of my happiest moment. Is when I'm working. Like my fiance normally, because I'm a bit of a workaholic, and my fiance says to me often, you know, would you not just take some time off? And I'm like, time off is time wasted. If I have time, I'd rather be with my thoughts and create things because it gives me a natural, if you like, high. And uh, I can only imagine what it must be like to have no outlet like that. It must be hell. As you speak that hell, not reacting now, respond. I came to the awareness that I had no outlet to nature about six years ago. And I, I, that was the question I, I asked. I was like, what would it take to have a natural experience? I'm resonating with all this information to support nature, to be with nature. That is being destroyed and in turn the mirror we're destroying ourselves it was resonating but I wasn't I hadn't enough of an experience to be like to do something about it mm. and I ended up stopping all of the portals I had of expressing myself things like buying a car and without NCT and tax and getting NCT and tax and connecting with my uncle who's a mechanic doing bits with him down in the forge in the garage where my granddad used to make horseshoes beaten in that feeling of family and other examples were going out drinking getting drunk and dancing and looking for women I stopped myself doing two examples stopped myself doing them as I felt that they were I wouldn't use the word wrong yet it didn't seem like it was a balanced way of being. Definitely some splicings of judgment in there. And I feel now there may be some shadows lying there. I was at a men's circle two weeks ago and... Oh, sorry, what? A men's circle. By I'm not familiar with this. So it's a circle of men and Dara Stewart is the facilitator. 
and it's a space where you have some space to express yourself with word and so sorry it's, it's, so, so people sit in a circle and they they tell their thoughts or exactly. express their emotions okay exactly. interesting and no one else talks when you talk and it's not a space where people give you advice after you're just listened to as a group of men this was online on zoom okay um they're also in person and i knew i needed to go to that men's circle and there was something to be released because i was getting this wrenched pain in my anus like it literally felt like there was it was going like that and the amount of fears of being gay were coming up like so many layers of the whole storyline if I identified as a gay man what that would result in the image of a man penetrating me all of these emotions that I was like waving away and maybe putting the pillow in front of the eyes and not allowing myself to feel them but to just put them somewhere else and at this men's circle it came to me and I just shared fully into this and the tension just dropping as I was speaking my butt cheeks just dropping and again feeling the roots again as I was blocking the sacral area in my body with this fear I wasn't getting down into that juicy easeful place that of like rooted home down deep like where all the roots of the trees are within me um, and I spoke into I was like if I am if I do desire to share love with a man, if I do desire to receive the emotions of, of males, not just a specific demograph of females that I find attractive, that I receive energetically, am I willing to receive the whole spectrum of life? Men, women, children, old people. Is, is it just the ones that I'm, I fancy that I'm going to actually entertain? And that brought me into a big shadow of did I only really support and love people that looked a certain way? Was there a hyper shadow of judgment controlling my existence that meant that I was only willing to um, co-create or dance with specific group of people? Which was crazy, like judgment elitist belief system layers that like I had no idea of, which came from the question, am I gay? Which like... Where, how could they possibly be connected and I shared into this to these men and then Dara sensed obviously that I was starting to bubble up with emotion and he was like do you need anything at the end and I just closed my eyes and I just allowed the bubbles of tears just to rise and to feel six or seven beings men or not they were men but beings just sitting there observing me and that I was enough just to be observed to cry and to come from a conversation that's supposedly not okay to question if you're what is gay or the whole storyline in growing up of that being such a yeah, such a warped mind concept of if that meant that I, I, I was gay, that means identified with just that. It never resonated with me that I, I was gay. Yet there was more to it. Because it, that question very much so connected me into a feminine, playful flow. And when family said to me when I was growing up, or I overheard them speaking or saying to my mom, we think he might be, 
he might be gay like he might be he may, might like the boys I remember those feelings like that was a crucifying feeling like that was like stabbing to the heart that's how I was perceiving it that's how I was bottling it and maybe in some ways I made sure that I become something that would make sure that people wouldn't think I was gay and it's resulting in me being here right now wearing leopard pants and my Pete's costume that my mom got me and I've thrown out all the rest of my clothes I've literally got these two uh, underpants and socks I've got one charity bag under there I've got rid of everything because none of them fit me all the clothes feel like they're holding in a an identity of a specific way of being and this has happened a number of spaces like these kind of identity holes where I've been holding this identity so strong for so long that the clothes just don't because clothes say so much and how you hold yourself in the shape of where, where they are where they support in your body in terms of their waistband how they make you feel how much you can move what's allowed can you can you easily get onto the grass or is there like 10 steps before you could are you thinking oh if I get muddy out there that mud's going to end up on the couch that means I'll have to clean put them in the washing machine before I dress the bed tonight so many thoughts of like can I just get out there and roll around and Anton that doesn't allow that why am, I, why am I upholding it? Who's upholding these identities that are not allowing me to spin? When I'm spinning, I'm feeling, I'm in love. And then this dread, which I love how you're saying you love dread. I'm not cynical of that. I'm really interested in how you will elaborate into that maybe now. Tell me or share it with us. What is loving dread? So I'll put it this way: when I was uh, when I was young, I was always very, as I told you, dyslexic. And I, I firstly, I don't make excuses. I really hate people who make excuses. One has difficulties. Take a ticket. Everybody's going to have difficulties at some stage of their life. So I don't like excuses. That's that's always been my my thing that's why I don't like using labels like dyslexia but for this conversation we'll say I had a lot of troubles at school I also was uh, very different uh, as a person I, I my interests were always different I had very different style of parenting very different value system from a young age so I would have an very explosive amounts of anger and I would have a lot of hatred and a lot of these very raw emotions and um, I was very, very, very aggressive, very, and always full of hate. And and what I found was very enriching was I would use my anger, my hatred, to be constructive. When I didn't do well, I would work harder because I was angry, and I would use these raw emotions as fuel. And I did because the more and I, you know, I find it very difficult to take compliments. And when people are nice to me, I don't, I don't like it. It, it almost feels alien to me. I almost love the hostility because I'm able to use that, put it in my, my fuel tank, and and make me um, do the things that I was not able to succeed in. And that includes working. Like 
one of the things if you look around here you see the tranquility of the place we're at now when i took over this place we had poachers we had hunters almost every weekend coming here and i used my distaste my hatred for them and i decided i would go to war and they became the focus of my attention. And I was like, I'm going to beat them. I will be relentless. They come at 6 o'clock. I will come at 6 o'clock. They come at 5. I'll be here already. I'll be here at 4.30. And that's how I did. And I used this. And, and people would say to me, it's like, come on. You're patrolling the place like a cop all the time. And I would say, you know, have a, take it easy. You know, you know every so often you've got to let your hair down. And I said, no. Nothing's going to stop me. My, my will will not be... be changed i will not deviate and i would use my how more angry this made me how the disrespect to to the animals that i was trying to protect made me angry and it focused me when i was in early part of my career people would not give me the opportunities they always discounted me because i was from a background like this and it was always like oh isn't it cute I'm trying to be creative and that would make me angry and the fact that i would often be ostracized because of my heritage, um, I would put it in the in the in the in the tank, and I would create and focus. And when people disrespected me or had doubts of me, I would do the same again. And when I had, in fact, we were even talking about the film. The film nearly didn't get finished many times because I thought, you know, that there's no ability for me to finish the story to conclude. It just didn't make sense. It didn't work. But where there was will, there was drive, and you have to think. When you hit a wall given enough time you'll figure out how to go over it under it or around it and that's how i how i use so for me it's very difficult to and i use that i got so used to using that kind of emotion to to, to enhance or to go ahead um it's very difficult when people are nice to me because i'm suddenly going what do i do in this situation what do i do with that your compliments are not good for my oil tank it's like putting uh it's like putting petrol in a diesel it doesn't work so, um, but that's, again, I think part of the flaws. Now, I never had a situation like yours, uh, and I certainly, again, I was coming from a very sort of conservative family, so we were very about, you know, expressing um, emotional attachment or emotions towards partners and things like that was always a, a little bit frowned upon in my house, or at least I felt it was. So let's 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 just call it that. I felt it was. If it was not something that I could easily openly be emotional about it was the emotion was always something that had to be um hit, not hidden but uh should we say kept in check and not expressed but then of course as you know anything that you push down eventually erupts uh in time and so you know and in how you how you allow these these emotions to manifest i mean you have a someone who has a lot of self-control which i think i do um, I'm able to use it in certain ways. And, and again, I think it gives the complexity of, of the creativity to be interesting. Um, and I think this is something that is going to come very strong in your creativity because whether you're using your hands or you're doing your book, these moments is what's going to give you the ability to really draw upon something, something that's very should we say very hurtful or something that's emotionally charged you whether that be positive or negative and and positive and negative in themselves is not better or worse they are just what they are 
Um, you don't have day without night. You don't have appreciation for the light without the dark. So it's one's able to draw upon these things. And that is the beauty of, of existence because you are going to absorb these these difficulties, these these stresses, these worries. And you know, the truth of the matter is it doesn't really matter. Because it's it it like time, it's a passing moment. You might find a moment and then that moment can vanish, like weather. And the truth of the matter is we put ourselves under so much pressure and society puts us under so much pressure. So when I asked you earlier about in reality you must be free because you do not have many of the you're not bound by many of the chains that modern society seems to put on us. Gotta get fast track, gotta get a job, gotta gotta have a second home, gotta do this, gotta do that, gotta gotta have a perfect wife, gotta gotta fit in. I have to be able to sit at the pub with my five friends and, and, and I have to give off the impression of being normal. I cannot I cannot break down and cry at the chipper. All of these things are holding you back from being able to be your default setting, which is just you be be Peter Pan. Be be a, a joyful boy. Unfortunately, eventually, everybody, including Peter Pan, has to leave Neverland. But the truth is, is that Neverland is a place that we go. It's a place that you have to be able to express yourself and, and be, use imagination, use creativity. Why else would you be gifted with the ability of imagination? It doesn't serve a purpose as such. It's something that you are able to draw upon. And you can use this creativity and these imagination to, to use for whatever you want, whether it's creating a meal or finding a solution to a problem. But it's that creativity. It's, it's, it's a finite resource that, you know, that's what, what you have to, you know, express. And when you are not able to express, it's like the clothes you were talking about. It constrains your movement. You can't roll in the grass. You can't do those things and then you cease to be free now maybe garments aren't going to be what's going to stop you from being free but it definitely embodies an, a physical barrier we are being joined by butthead you're welcome butthead my, will be my <laughs> butthead is very able to express herself aren't you butthead butthead is a is a is what i like to call a leg warmer she doesn't fetch, she doesn't do tricks, and she's very jealous. You're amazing. Nice to meet you. You're very light. <laughs> yes. There's space on the on the recording for you to express yourself to. Mm, Whathead likes to express, don't you, Whathead? I'm sure there's animal folk listening right now that will be resonating with your results. You this is another thing, actually, going back to it. We talk about... Um, how you felt with, you know, when you're, when you overheard the conversation, you know, but this is the thing, and this is what I try to go back to, we'll go back to the land for a moment here and, and parallel some of your experiences with the land. You felt that way because there is a system that we have been conditioned for, and that system creates one thing better than the other. Oh, but he's this, or he's that, or he's a bit less, he's a bit more. This is what is preferable. And that just doesn't exist in nature. It's, it's, a, it's a foreign concept because in nature, everything has its place. 
there's not one thing superior to the other. That is a concept that has been pushed by humanity. Our chicken is worth less than our dog. That's why I do not consume meat. Um, because if you want to get rid of that kind of... Uh, if you want to get rid of things like prejudice, hatred... And bear in mind, these are, these are emotional states. They're not inherently wrong. They are natural. But when you use those and you base yourself, and I, and I understand here by saying this, I'm admitting fault in my own patterns. No one is perfect. But if you want to get rid of uh, the system that promotes um, hatred or promotes uh, division, uh, you have to boil it down to its rawest point where you think that you are worth more or this is less good, you're worth less because um, you're not as good because you're a different color or you're not as good because you're this. That is a system that is only created by us as a way to divide us. In look in nature, and this is one of the reasons why I have adapted a vegan lifestyle and, and I express... Uh, that ethos into my rewilding because in nature the way we, we get rid of that those problems in humanity that have plagued us and held us back is by leveling everybody equal the tree is worth as much as the dog the chicken has as much right to live as the fish the grass, the plants, they're all supposed to be here if we start saying well I don't like the thistles or I don't like the nettles. You've created a hierarchy system. The hierarchy system, as throughout history, has shown to be destructive. So we can't. We have to unlearn that concept. And and that system hurt you very badly at one point in your life because, as you remembered, your mom, God bless her, I'm sure, sure she had no intent, but it's that system made you feel less because you were not. You were not the dog. You became the chicken, so to speak. And because you felt that you could not be what you wanted to be. Because, because. And that's the problem. And that's the system that is inherently wrong. And it doesn't have any real reason to be there for us. For some reason, the human race adapted and got this mindset. Like any muscle in the brain, it's a pattern of movement that's done frequently enough becomes a movement pattern. And brain and muscles are very similar. So if you do it enough time, it becomes an instinct. And then people go on about nature. Ironically, for the one species that does not find harmony in its own nature, we talk about nature. And that's why I have tried to do this. And without sounding very hippie-woo-woo about the whole thing, the, we have to be part of our environment, not oppose our environment, not control our environment. And to do that, we have to cure the imperfections of our own society and avoid these these toxic um, structures that will ultimately lead to unhappiness, that will lead to jealousy, that will lead to anger. Because in reality, we're sick. We're sick because we don't belong. We're not able to express our true intentions or nature. Because again, we bottle our things and as a result, this manifests as something negative or perhaps manifests in something that becomes ultimately destructive and without waffling a lot on because I'm sure you're the people listening to this probably don't want to hear any of this rubbish but the thing is is that the only one way to find true harmony is to remove the lines of division 
And the lines of division start with what you eat, start with how you treat things, and start how you value things. When everything goes to zero, we are all part of a system. And in nature, there's no numbers, there's no divisions, there's only what's in front of you. Of course, there has to be food, but there has to be life. But at the same time, where we as humans uh, have an ability for reason, which is superior to many of the species that are around here, we are able to fly airplanes. But that's not in our nature. That is as a result of, of many of our, you know, our desire to fly came from probably our desire to our lack of ability to feel or to be happy with where we were. Not necessarily a negative thing, but it comes from perhaps it's a, it's a something that has come as a result of. And so I go back here. My concept here is different than many of the other concepts. Because I've, I recognize that as a, as a fundamental problem that is keeping the human race alive. Because you know what's going to happen? All the mistakes of the past will be done again. And if we are not able to learn and adapt, and if you like, go back to nature, eventually nature will see us as a, a mistake. And we will be removed. Or Because that's what happens in nature. Nature evolves nature adapts things adjust and if we anything that becomes too fundamental too too large eventually like trees you know they, i use elm's disease as a good example of this a lot of people fear disease they say it's scary it kills things it destroys things but one forgets that when something dies in a forest that gives opportunity to something else and if we become too detrimental we'll be removed and then we won't exist in the forest or anywhere and that's and we will be replaced with something else and that's how i believe the world works and i don't think that we were a virus ourselves set to destroy the planet but i do feel we have made a misstep and the misstep has caused us to create these divisions um that has ultimately led to many of the world's problems today and the fact that we are unable or unwilling to make any change is uh, the resistance to change or the resistance to adaption goes against the concept of evolution and goes against the concept of, of the circle of life because we are constantly being revitalized things are constantly adapting temperatures animals are adapting to their environment if we can't adapt we stagnate and we must be uh, we become rot and that's how I sort of feel it. And going back to, again, back to what you felt, it's that division that ultimately, I think, has put, brought us to this place. How you deal with that is now really in your court. And you have obviously been able to control it and control your emotional state because you, know, you are with me now. You seem to have found comfort and a reason to to exist you have the questions you have about sexuality and stuff are almost really irrelevant because the truth is is that you are content or at least you should be content with how you feel today and if tomorrow you feel something different then you will move but tomorrow is another day today 
is the only day that for you that matters in these things because the labels or the divisions are false. They are illusions. They are glass. So that's a, a very long-winded way of saying that I suppose you need to embrace fears. Um, and I think that's part of the things that as you get older, you know, you, you become more attuned to just letting things be. And that's certainly where I was because I was not always like this. This is, I, I actually didn't even have an interest in nature, ironically. You know, 10 years ago, couldn't even tell you what that tree was over there. And that's the thing. It's not that I found nature. I suppose nature found me in a way. Yeah. And nowadays, you know, I have no interest in being... I love traveling. I love seeing constructions and things that have been made. But at the same time, this is the purest state of being. Look at this. Everything is alive. Everything is abundant. And things will die and decline. And knowing that eventually... I will be part of this in some manner is very uh, warming to the spirit. Do you feel you're here in choice? Everybody has a choice. Um, it's your choice every day not to hang yourself. But I always found when I was very young, I didn't embrace the duty that I have to this place initially. I rejected it. And I think my poor father died thinking whether I, I, whether I would or would not uh, be the one generation to, to eventually abandon the, the should we say our mindset our, our, our way um, but time is a funny thing and time erodes all things even rocks and you know it's ironic because the moment that life shift shifted um, I went on my journey of becoming part of this place because I was not part of it before. I existed in it but I was not part of it. And now if I never go anywhere else I'm part of the place. I'm like the rock over there. And uh, given enough time I will become dust just like the sand but then that dust will turn into soil. And something will grow out of it. And that's the beauty of it. And when you think beyond your life and not fear those things and th look at yourself as a, a civilization, as a 500, 600 years, what do you want to express? What do you want to grow into? What kind of, what flower do you want to be? Now, I'm only talking about a flower as a, as a metaphor, but the decisions you make today have an effect in the future. And I feel that many decisions, and one of the reasons I'm adapting this is because I want humanity to find its, its, the, right, the right line again. I may be a crazy man, very possible, but people have believed in more mad stuff than the, some of the things I'm saying. And I think if you, I will not be able to see the full change but I might tip the ship in the general direction and maybe the next generation will tip the ship a little bit more and eventually we'll be on course again. And that's part of the duty of being alive is to make sure that you 
give something fruitful. You, you set the next generations in the right direction because if you look at all, you know, the Renaissance, all these great periods of time, they influenced our society. They created the art that we took so much impression of. They very much opened up sexuality because if you look at the medieval period, sexuality was very closed. And then you had the Renaissance, which ironically still had uh, the concept of religion behind it. But now look at us today, 300 years later, 400 years later, we have a, we are becoming more open to, to emotion and sexuality. We're not there yet. We have the illusion that we've gotten it. Now again, we are partitioning ourselves with the limitations of division by fitting into groups. I am this, or I am that, or I identify as that. But those are, again, although in a better direction, are still being bound by the limitations and the constructs of separation and division. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? Feel you entirely. When you look out there, how does that make you feel? But it friendly, classy, classy, but it, but it. Let me before you say anything. Listen, right? When you hear the birds, you can hear many layers. You can hear very carefully you can hear the outside world the cars but you can also hear the leaves can you hear the leaves listen very carefully those two oaks for example you see those two oaks nine members of my family were executed between those two trees during the Cromwellian invasion that gives you an idea of how old those trees are they don't even look that old. Two oaks. No matter where you look, there's energy here and everywhere, but it's very prominent here. And that's why, you know, when you look at something like this and you really look or you really listen. Now, I'm talking, so you're not really listening because I'm, I'm distracting you, but... When you look at something, you feel it. You can almost see through it. See that tree over there? One at the back on the hill. You know what tree that is? I don't. It's got a kind of like a brownish leaf because it hasn't quite changed yet. It's still coming. It's a black poplar. A black poplar? It's a very, very rare tree. Butthead. Butthead doesn't like you looking at the black poplar. Um, so the black poplar is supposedly Ireland's rarest tree. And they're almost disappearing because progress. One of the things we're doing here is we're trying to take cuttings of those trees to give them life again and to give them to others because that's a beautiful tree. I mean, you're looking at the landscape and you probably didn't even really look there because you're looking at what's directly in front of you, which were the two oaks. Yet they have a different color. 
So you wonder, when you look at the whole thing, why your eye didn't go to that one straight away. But that's a question of perception. Your eye went to the Scots Pine, all right, looking at the oaks. But it probably never questioned, out of all these green trees, and look at them, they're all kind of green, different shades of green, sure. But you have a brown tree right there. And that's probably the one you didn't even notice. And are both of... Is there seems to be a taller one behind her. There's, there's oh, three of them there, yep. is there? There's three of them. It, or is there four? Is see, there? so you have the oaks. Yeah. Green. So this one here is a sycamore of sorts. It's got pine over there. Butthead. She doesn't like you getting too close. Um, butthead's very protective of me. Um, but they're right there, and they're right in the middle. You'd be surprised, and, and um, I, it, was a, it was a trick question because nobody ever sees that tree. And then for the longest time, I never even noticed. I put it down to it being you know, just sort of oak. But then when you look at it long enough, you realize that it has nothing like any of the other trees. They're all different. And those trees in particular, even though they're right in the middle of you, are overlooked like so many things in our society. So, is that growth of grass in front of us gone over and over in itself for years now, or has that been mowed? No. Do you see the little border? We mow it simply to give an idea that it is not completely abandoned. Abandoned. So that is as far as we mow. That's the only mowing I ever do. This has not been cut or harvested or grazed in well over eight years. Everything grows, and, it, and that grass will hit six foot this year, like it did last year. And six foot, I'm six foot, by the way, on a good day. <laughs> and grass absorbs carbon from the air. It feeds its seeds. It's good for the bees. It's good for everything. And then it dies. It creates these lumps. Can you see how it, there's lumps? It almost. I like to say that it looks like the ocean. And ironically, I made a movie called The Green Sea. See the irony of the whole thing. But those lumps create rooms, places for things to live, protection from the killers that are from the sky. And uh, and that new grass will pierce through all of that. And in another month or two, all of that will be standing erect. And it goes right away till about August. And then suddenly the rains begin to knock it down. It just gets too tall. And the weight of the rain makes it flop. And then it really does look like an ocean because it's got waves and waves. And that grass rots and dies and gets reabsorbed. So really, we are growing soil here. When people ask me what I do, I say, well, I'm a farmer. And people say, you're not really a farmer. I'm like, no, I'm not really a farmer. I'm a farmer of nature. Um, I said to you that uh, one of the things that we do here is we've started converting the old farm buildings of uh, that used to be um, used for farm animals, pigs, chickens, cattle. And ironically... Um, the structures that were used were oppressive. Uh, animals were a commodity, remember. Uh, we have slowly started commissioning or decommissioning those places to turn into positivity because the animals that are now being in, held in those areas are animals that are getting a second chance. Orphans, animals that may have died not given the appropriate care. They're being slowly rewilded, getting ready to go back into the wild, and will eventually go back into the forest. And so we are now, as I like to call it, a conveyor belt for nature. The animals come 
get it given a second chance and they are allowed to exist in the same because this is an oasis it's an oasis of ideas it has a lot of fruit and the more you enrich a place the more fertile that place becomes and that is uh, how I see it here because the victims of our time are the animals uh, and the environment because many years ago it was people were starving they needed to eat they couldn't find what they needed from existence nowadays we have flat screens we have Spanish holidays you told me you were in Thailand when would a Westerner like you ever get to Thailand but you have that opportunity because of some of the inventions um, we have discovered now there's a cost to that but now the next generation our generation's fight is to restore the balance and the next generation after that is to find the equilibrium see that's what I'm all about I'm thinking about I'm not gonna live to survive it to see it but I plant the seed so many people will enjoy the tree in 200 years time that tree over there looks like a perfect piece of broccoli that tree or this one they were planted at some point and the person who planted them never got to see them in their glory that's the beauty thing about this we are constantly moving and we get to enrich our time and that's what I try and do at Dunsany and I encourage anyone living today to think of their world much the way I think of Dunsany and if we all adapt that kind of concept very soon many of the problems that we are currently under will vanish we might get other problems but it's about evolving many years ago we couldn't eat couldn't find enough food then we discovered industrial agriculture which many people will say today are is evil it's bad I would I'm not one of those people I don't believe that it's um, it fed the masses at a cost the next evolution is to find a balance between industrial agriculture and nature and eventually find that nature does all the feeding through our ability to use reason and science to create an, a much more um, sustainable way of creating food but that only comes through the journey and even when you first make your first when you build your house you're always going to have some teething issues find that your pipes are leaking or whatever that's that's part of the journey so that's not something to be feared that's something to be aware of what's scary is when people put cover their eyes and say nope nope this is just how it is this is what has to happen and they're not willing to change or transform or grow grow is a better word so that's that's our philosophical idea here at Dunsany I'm hoping it catches on would you please share with us a book recommendation that comes to your awareness right now oh I, I was it was very funny because uh, when I was younger I used to pick very unusual books and the first book as you were asking the only book that came to mind was the uh, the autobiography of Genghis Khan which I remember my father giving to me when I was 12 now Genghis Khan was the worst person ever like he murdered and raped everybody half I think half of China can can ex 
can can source him as as a, as a relative and it's ironic because you know he was very brutal very savage and yet was able to do the things that nobody could believe could be done um when you consider that he was started as a more or less a bandit so i'm reading um i love i love japanese stuff a lot and I think the Asians have a, a very good perspective on life. It's probably because their society has a different value system than ours. I find sometimes the Western society is just a little bit more distracted to the fundamentals. And um, although Eastern society is ever-changing and, and becoming more Westernized, they have a, a way of looking at life which for me tickles me because it, it's so different than what I'm used to. So I'm reading the, the new Murakami book at the moment. And it's uh, it's definitely one that I've always loved. And those books, all of his books, have that fundamental concept of what I'm talking about. As average man not able to quite express himself and goes on a surreal adventure. And I love surreal adventures. Reality is, again, like, like I said, a construct. Uh, we are able to see it and feel it. And, and we will challenge it if it doesn't fit in our in our ideal system and again i go back to the green sea the green sea doesn't quite fit because it's it's grasped on reality and time are not clear in the traditional sense and that's why i did it that way because you have to push the envelope and not be afraid of challenging or being challenged but also, my interpretation of the world is not the same as perhaps yours and is not the same as buttheads over here. But that's why I feel that when I really identify to things like that, the surrealism. I'm, I'm very uh, into art. That's my, uh, my thing. So I love, I've always found it's very, uh, I love reading about artists and they're especially uh, artists who had drama and, and tragedy. Makes the best art. Which is, again, goes back into being quite destructive, but I'm going to re return the question. Book. Not the two that are on the, on the desk. Got to think outside the box here. No, no easy options. World Bridger by Juliet Carter. Um, it would say on the back of the book, We didn't fall, we were pushed. St a stolen race on a stolen planet. That would be my recommendation right now. I have not read it or heard of it, in fact. I feel you will deeply resonate with it whenever it comes Say it out. again? World Bridger. World Bridger. By Juliet Carter. Juliet Carter, okay. You'll love it. She's a quantum poet. Okay. Well, <laughs> I'm going to write that down before... I leave today and I'm going to put that on my on my reading list I'm going to bring it to a stop is there a sentence you want to bring to the listeners before I press that box I will leave all the links to all your all your connections on the on the description it's always important to challenge the normal beliefs that are given I can only talk about my perception and people may believe me or they may not. But I encourage anyone who listens to this 
to try and listen and watch and never believe what people tell you because often truths are usually only partially told and motives there's always motives so always look at who's telling you those things and where they came from because more often than not there's an, an, uh, an interest involved in keeping status quos and pushing people in any one direction and as long as you trust nothing and discover it yourself you'll be fine and that's all I have to say about that light in me sees the light in you. Thank you, Randall. Very welcome.